0: Good evening, church. I'm going to be reading from Psalm 36, if you'd like to turn with me there. The word says this, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes they flatter themselves too much to detect or to hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or to do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course, and they do not reject what is wrong. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God! People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evil doers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. This psalm, Psalm 36, is a very interesting psalm. I really like it. It's actually um, a prayer, a prayer from the psalmist David. Um, There's three main parts to his prayer. Uh, The first part, verses 1 through 4, he's talking about his concern for the wickedness in the world and in the heart of man. He goes on in the second part, verses 5 through 9, and he contrasts this wickedness of man to the glory of God and the goodness of God and the hope we have in him. And in the third part, he has petitions in his prayer, verses 10 through 12. So we'll go ahead and start. We'll break down, starting in the first part. In verse 1, David, the psalmist, he starts telling us he's troubled by the sinfulness of man and the wicked. It is burdensome deep in his heart. It keeps him up at night uh, thinking about this troubling over uh, the wickedness of man. He goes on to say that they are flattering themselves too much in their own eyes to detect or to hate their own sin. They justify what they're doing. It's it's not that bad. Wickedness starts deep down in their hearts with their minds set on themselves rather than on God. And consequently, the wicked speak deceitfully. And Jesus even talks about this in Matthew. Out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. They lie, they curse others, they will do anything to prosper themselves. These just kind of start out as the first words that lead into actions. They fail to act wisely or to do good. They cheat and steal whatever pleases them, and then whatever they need to do for personal gain. In verse 4, David goes on uh, to talk about how entrapped they are in their sin and their wicked ways, that eventually they spend all their time plotting evil, and devising a plan for themselves with no concern for God or what is holy. This continues on, as the psalmist says, David, they commit themselves to a sinful course, and they do not reject what is wrong. Even on their beds, they plot evil. It's a slippery slope leading to the destruction of their lives until they are so caught up that they begin to plot evil, even as they lie in bed all the time. And I, I don't believe that David here is talking about just the sinfulness of the world, the wickedness. He's not making an us versus them case here. I don't believe he's trying to point out the wrongdoing that they're doing. He's talking about us. We're the wicked. He says, he's talking about the transgressions, the rebellion against God. And we do what David's describing all the time we justify what we're doing. Um, simple example we justify going five over the speed limit cop's not going to bother with pulling us over. It's too, not they're going to waste their time over that, but we're still breaking the law, and we're still commanded to obey the laws of the land. In our greedy ways, we take more time, or we take more than we need, and we justify it. We walk past someone in need because we don't want to be inconvenienced, or we're running late to work. Or maybe it's just because if I give them $5 now, I don't have $5 to go to lunch with my coworkers later on. Dr. Neal, this morning, I don't know if you guys got to attend his class about Romans in here, he actually gave um, a pretty cool example about this. He was talking about when he was in residency um, one night. Uh, they had a r- very rough night, and he was among a group of Christians. Uh, there was about four or five in his residency that were Christians, and there was a uh, one of their overseeing doctors who was also a Christian. And they had a really rough night one night, and they kind of cut some corners. And every Thursday morning, he said they met with this doctor who kind of Oversaw them, who was also a Christian, and the doctor said that he was disappointed in him. He expected more out of them because they are Christians. And they're cutting corners, but they're justifying it. Well, it was a rough night, or it was long, or uh, there's so much going on, and they were justifying their wrongdoings. In many different situations, we do this in our daily lives. I can't help but think that uh, David, when he was writing the psalm, he was thinking about his own sinfulness and wicked ways. If you guys aren't familiar with the story of David, um, you can find it in uh, you can find it back in Second Samuel chapter eleven, and it goes something like this: David uh, is a king. He comes out on his rooftop and he sees a woman, Bathsheba, bathing through the window, and he is enamored by her beauty and is in love with her. And he has one of his servants send for her and bring her to his house. Uh, she comes to his house, and he sleeps with her, and sends her on her way, sends her back home. And within a couple weeks, word is sent back to him that Bathsheba is pregnant. And the thing about Bathsheba is her husband, Uriah, was off at war fighting David's war. So David sends to have Uriah sent home, and uh, has Uriah over, and, and to honor him, says, go home, be with your wife. And Uriah says, I can't, while the men are out at battle, I can't come home and be with my wife and and be merry. I need to sleep on the mat. My men are out in tents right now. So he sleeps on the mat at David's uh, castle. So David is beginning to figure out what what do I do? What do I do? How do I justify that she's pregnant? You know, they're going to find out. And so he the next night gets Uriah drunk and tries to have Uriah go home to be with his wife. Again, Uriah turns down the offer. So what does David do? Well, he has Uriah put on the front line, and he has Uriah killed. And then he takes Bathsheba to be his wife, and they have a kid. And I, I just can't help but think that David was not uh, thinking about this when he wrote this psalm. In the second section, as I said, David goes on um, to write about the vast contrast and the differences of the wickedness of man and heart and uh, the glory of and the praises of God. In verse 5, it says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice is like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God! People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Personally, I, I, I don't know much Hebrew. I haven't taken any Hebrew courses, and I haven't got my end of yet. Um, but I do know a few words in Hebrew from my studies, and one of the words is the word hesed. And what hesed is, is God's steadfast love. And any commentary you read about this psalm, they'll be quick to point out that the word in Hebrew that David uses is the word hesed. Um, in verse 5, it starts out, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Um, but but the word that David uses is his said, his said reaches to the heavens. His steadfast love, it is his unfailing love, his never ending love. He says it reaches to the heavens, which is just a way for him to say that it is unfathomably large and words cannot describe it. And his faithfulness, which makes his love steadfast, stretches to the skies. His righteousness are, is as immovable as mountains, and his justice is deeper than we can even imagine. In verses 5 through 6, David is speaking of how great our God is. He uses heavens and skies and mountains and deeps as ways of expressing the immensity of the characteristics of our God. His firm reliability and his vindication of those who depend on him and follow in his ways. He's steadfast and reliable for us, and he clears our name of blames. David knows this all too well. You see, after um, what he had done in in, uh, 2 Samuel, God sends a Uh, A prophet to him, the prophet Nathan, and and Nathan shows him the error of his ways and David is struck. He says, I have sinned against God. I have sinned against the Lord. But Nathan says to him, he says um, that God has taken away his sins and he will not die. That is the Hesed of God, the steadfast love of God. Now through God's justice, he still took David's son, but in his stead he took away David's sins. Going on, verses 7 through 9, How priceless is your unfailing love, O God! People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. David's talking about the human dependency on God here. God provides for us through his salvation. He preserves life. God's, has said, is what provides for us. He provides shelter, he provides food, and he provides drink, and so is the source of life. And reading these verses, we could think David's talking about the life provided through the temple and his Jewish culture, Um, but I I think David is talking about a much deeper communion with God, and that is much greater than liturgy, and much greater than ritual. Um, It's symbolic, and we, we can read about this in the New Testament. Jesus talks about being the bread of life, and being the fountain of living water. And he David goes on to talk about, we take shelter in the shadow of his wings, and I don't know if you guys have ever seen or know much about eagles, but eagles are pretty incredible creatures. They have a wingspan about seven to nine feet, and when they have a little baby eagle in their nest, they have these huge nests, and the way they protect their little baby eagle is they wrap their huge wings around the eagle's nest, and it's it's an incredible thing to see uh, as they protect their baby eagle, and that's what God does for us. He wraps his wings around us, and he protects us. And the language in these verses, it just shows that David gets it, per se. He, he understands the greatness of all the ways that life is received through God. Verse 9, he kind of sums it all up and puts a little, nice little bow on it, uh, on the dependency of man on God. The first sentence, he admits, um, He admits that all life flows from God. He says, for with you is the fountain of life. And then he goes on in the second sentence and he says, in your light we see light. Which is kind of weird wording for us, but we can uh, reword that, if you will. And uh, we could say through the knowledge and the wisdom that we uh, receive from God and the understanding we are able to see the goodness and all that is good. It is through His favor that we receive salvation. In the last section here, the petitions to the Lord, David says this. He says, "Continue Your love to those who know You, Your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evil doers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise." In this last section of the prayer, the psalmist David he petitions the Lord. He petitions him. Um, that the Lord will recognize his dependence on him and that the Lord and his Hesed be the power in which determines the future of the wicked rather than their own wicked ways. That they would turn their attention to the Hesed of God and base their lives on that rather than basing it on their own um, arrogant, selfish ways. He says, May I not lie fallen down? Or he, he, he says, May I not fall down the slippery slope? That is, Um, of the wickedness, the the slippery slope of the arrogance and then deceiving yourself because you are so uh, caught up in your own sinful ways and justifying yourself. The evildoers and the wicked in the end are unimportant and they are cast down because they have no respect for God or for his said love. This psalm, it just illustrates the grace that we have from God and through his light Um, darkness is cast out and the wickedness cannot overcome the chesed of God and as Christians under the new covenant um, we recognize that uh, that grace comes from the Lord and our Savior Christ Jesus which is pretty incredible Um, yeah if you would bow with me Father I thank you for this uh, evening I thank you for this time I just pray that we are able to see your chesed love and we are so grateful for your chesed love and what you did for us on Uh, on the cross through your son, Christ Jesus. And Father, I just pray that we are able to learn from the ways of David, um, and we are able to put your chesed love at the forefront of our mind and base our decisions and our future off of it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.